So it's a Monday morning and everybody loves Monday and our meeting is finally here. And we enter that meeting, whether it's in person or virtual, how do we go about leading that meeting effectively? Yeah, it really depends, right? So the first thing I would do is consider who the different stakeholders that are attending this meeting is going to be. Now, if they're people from different organizations who you've never met before, it's worth to go do a round table and introduce each other, why they're there, who they are, and what kind of decision-making capabilities and capacity they have, which are going to be ideal when you're thinking of assigning people what to do next. Now, in terms of meeting facilitation, people often forget that the person who was designated to lead this meeting, they actually have quite a bit of control. And people, believe it or not, who are attending the meeting are looking towards you for guidance. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Before we move on, it's important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health, from the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. My name is Gordon, your host for this episode, along with my co-pilot, LaShawn Benedict. What's up, LaShawn? Hey, how's it going? It's going okay, because in this episode, we'll be speaking about why your meetings suck and what you can do about it. Not your meetings specifically. My meetings don't suck. Not yours specifically. Watch your mouth. Not yours specifically, but meetings in general. Mm. Is that too strong of a language to say meetings can suck or... Have you had meetings that suck in their previous experiences? I've hosted and facilitated over 100 meetings during the pandemic, Mm. and I've come across a lot of lessons learned. Mm. And a lot of people don't like meetings, especially meetings that have no purpose. So we'll get into it right now. Yeah, I don't I think I don't like meetings, period, whether they have purpose Mm. or not. But so, yeah, I mean, so on the one hand, right, there's everyone's goal. I think everyone's goal is to have effective meetings, right, to have meetings that are productive and then when you finish those meetings, you feel pretty good about how you've used people's time. When you have effective meetings, you're aiming to build or cultivate or maintain a strong relationships. You're looking to establish some alignment on a task, activity, initiative, or a project. You're looking for a platform to make better decisions uh, and faster decisions in some cases. You're looking to foster some innovation, creativity, and most importantly, perhaps, most importantly, perhaps you're looking for engagement for those stakeholders who are involved, right? Now, I think we all can agree on that. But our idea for how an effective meeting should go, that's where we get a lot of variation in the way people conduct meetings. So I think it's very important to start off by talking about what you do before you even have a meeting in the first place. So what are some considerations from your perspective? You said you have a lot of lessons learned, so we're excited to hear about those. Before even setting up a meeting, what should people be doing? Well, before you set up a meeting, you first want to figure out why are we trying to meet in the first place? And we've all been in those meetings, scheduled one hour, and you're in the meetings and you still don't know what's going on and you feel like it's a waste of time. There are ways to figure out what the purpose of a meeting is 
and accordingly adjust the time of the meeting to fit those needs and to set an agenda that appropriately facilitates that meeting. If you do that, it really starts setting you up for success. If you go into a meeting, you send out a meeting invite, you tell people to come, and then you freestyle it, most of the time it won't go too well because you go off topic, people so-and-so starts talking about their cat or their dog or what happened last weekend and half the meeting is gone, right? Some people don't want to talk about all that. They just want to get right into it. But business is business is one thing, talking about project objectives. But I also want to shed a bit of light on in many virtual teams, so teams that have members in Canada, the U.S., Portugal, all around the world, these meetings serve as a point of contact. And some people really want to just see who they're working with. And even though that meeting might not have purpose, it might serve as that touch base point of feeling connected with one another. So, you know, business is business is one thing, but sometimes there's also that kind of interpersonal networking and talking to each other and getting to know each other that often builds better teams overall. Yeah. So you're basically saying that meetings can have different purposes mm. and it's important from an expectation point of view that people know what to expect when they come into a meeting. So if it's an update meeting, it's an update meeting. If it's a meeting just to, for mental health, to catch up a quick meeting in people's day, that it may, that it's made clear that's the purpose of the meeting. And if it's a business meeting, it's clear what the purpose of the business meeting is. And if it's a little bit of all the above, then that's made clear on something like perhaps an agenda, which we can talk about now. So in terms of an agenda, what are some key elements that should be included in an agenda that's circulated to potential meeting attendees? Both me and you would probably agree that if you're sending an agenda, you want to make it as easy as possible for the people receiving that agenda. So including simple things like the medium that you're using to meet, the time, place, make sure you add that time zone. You want to have these high level or even as detailed as you want bullet points so that people know what the discussion is going to be about. And to that end, sometimes it might be useful to showcase who's coming to that event, right? So if your senior director is coming to that event, it might more likely be to pull people to come and attend that meeting rather if it was just just you and your colleagues. So it, it, those are some things that I would include in the agenda. It also helps if you include any sort of material that people need to read beforehand. So any read-ups or updates that you might want to include to help facilitate that meeting. You don't want to spend time at the beginning of the meeting, like 20, 30 minutes, just providing updates that people could have read offline. I would encourage people to do that. And I often just hyperlink that in a document so people can read it. And a cool trick I just learned is people actually, people just don't read a lot of things sometimes. So to help encourage people to click on some of these pre-read documents that you're sending out, it's sometimes good practice to indicate how long this read would take. So if it's a short article, say, hey, it's a two minute read and people are more likely to click it or say, hey, it's a video that's five minutes people are more likely to click it. So those are just some tips. So you're saying people get spooked automatically thinking something's going to be 50 pages when they open it, so they just don't bother opening it. But if you say, hey, I read it and it's not that long, yeah. people are more likely to take a stab at it. Yeah, yeah, it helps. It helps. So, I mean, 
if we take a half a step back, should we be sending the meeting invite and agenda to everybody in the whole organization or the whole department in situations where it's a project, right? Is there a way, is it, is it, is it important at all to put any of your effort before having the meeting to identify who needs to be there in the first place? Absolutely. Mm. Why? Why not just invite everyone and let the dust settle where, the, where it settles? Because to some people, this meeting will be irrelevant. And it goes back to our podcast on stakeholder engagement. Who do you want at the table? Who will this be useful to? Who are the people who have a say and have decision-making power and who has influence over what you're doing? Who has interest over what you're doing? Those are the people you want attending these meetings. Again, there's no point of inviting the president of your organization if he or she does not deal with the things that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. It's a waste of their time, and oftentimes they might not know some of the operational details that you're working through on a week-to-week -week basis. So you just have to consider who you should invite to this meeting. And also keep in mind that sometimes just inviting a lot of people is not in your best interest. Sometimes that could make the meeting more crowded and so... Sometimes it's more effective to work in smaller groups. So that's something to consider based on the norms, the social norms of your organization and your the people you're managing's preferences. A more everyday case of that is if you work, part of your work involves something like, I mean, it, it's relevant for both internal and external partners, right? So if it's external and you typically work with an organization, you might have several contacts there, right? Who could potentially have some part to play on whatever it is the purpose of the meeting is, okay? But the goal would be before you set up that meeting, maybe you say, send an email out as to why you're thinking of setting up the meeting. And maybe you just simply ask, hey, uh, let me know if yourself or someone else would be better suited to attend this meeting. And then you only invite that one person rather than sending a blanket invite out to the five people that you know. And then there's four of them there that are like, why am I here? Right. So it's important to identify, spend some time thinking about that in a deliberate sense ahead of the meeting. Well, why don't you talk a bit more about how you can assign some sort of roles ahead of a meeting just to take the burden off you in a sense? Right. So... In, depending on the size of the organization, the bigger organizations might have a dedicated clerk or minute taker, in which case it's a lot easier since that's part of their job responsibility. For smaller organizations or for meetings where there's maybe less people, you typically would have a meeting chair or a meeting lead who's responsible for facilitating during the meeting, and then you have the note taker or timekeeper, maybe they do a dual role there. It's often a challenge for an engaging and productive meeting where the chair is also the one taking detailed minutes. Yep. So for an effective meeting, it's ideal that those roles are separated. And I heard a resounding yep from you, LaShawn. So mm -hmm. is there, uh, why, why are you feeling that way? Oftentimes there aren't people ready and willing to be note takers and to take that role on. So sometimes just in terms of capacity, you're often the one both facilitating the meeting, leading the meeting, and taking the notes, which can be difficult. It's a, definitely a skill you could practice and get better at, but it's far from ideal. You, wanna, you want, as the facilitation leader of that meeting, your main purpose is to 
cover these key points that you assigned in the agenda and making sure that you push this agenda forward so that everyone knows what they're going to be doing when the meeting is finished. So if taking these detailed notes while you're doing that distracts you from that goal, it's something worth thinking about in terms of assigning someone that role. Mm. All right. So it's a Monday morning and everybody loves Monday and our meeting is finally here and we enter that meeting, whether it's in person or virtual, how do we go about leading that meeting effectively? Yeah, it really depends, right? So the first thing I would do is consider who the different stakeholders that are attending this meeting is going to be. Now, if they're people from different organizations who you've never met before, it's worth to do a roundtable and introduce each other, why they're there, who they are, and what kind of decision-making capabilities and capacity they have, which are going to be ideal when you're thinking of assigning people what to do next. Now, in terms of meeting facilitation, people often forget that the person who was designated to lead this meeting, they actually have quite a bit of control. And people, believe it or not, who are attending the meeting are looking towards you for guidance, right? So if you magically just say, hey, let's go around the round table, people are going to be quiet, right? You as the meeting facilitation leader, you have to take charge. And maybe you introduce yourself first, and then you pass on the baton. Say, hey, Henrietta, why don't you give yourself a brief introduction and pass on the baton to the next person? So you want to give them the sequence of what's going to happen next. Because if you leave that out and for interpretation, it might not go as well as you think. But keep in mind, people are looking for you for the next steps. So you want to really take that role on and be a lead and have the confidence to say what's happening next. We're going to go in this order. We're going to do this first. Then we're going to do that. Yeah, and that's especially important in a virtual environment where it's you don't have everyone in the same room and you can't really read cues and body language as well. So in virtual or remote meetings, it's better to be explicit about those situations. One thing that ties to the agenda as well, it typically follows closely with a welcome and introductions portion of an agenda is around the review or approval of a minutes from a previous meeting, if that's applicable in this scenario. And I find that typically what's done is, is basically a question gets asked, does everyone agree or accept the minutes from the previous meeting? And then it gets very quiet, likely because people, no one really did look at the minutes from the last meeting when it was circulated. So I find that what's probably more effective actually is for the chair or the lead of the, the, the meeting to just do a quick bullet point recap of the last meeting just for those who either weren't there or didn't have time to look at the minutes from the previous meeting. And that just gets everything settled down for to move on to the actual agenda items for this meeting. And you know why I like that, Gordon? Because mm. it holds people accountable to previous actions, right? Oftentimes with these meetings, you often assign different tasks and roles to be completed by a certain date, right? And doing that recap puts people on the spot. It's like, oh crap, I forgot to do this. What do I do now? And it's it holds people accountable in that way. So it's a really great way to show people we're serious about this. We're going to follow up on some of the things that you said you would commit to and let's go through the list. So I really like that, especially close to the beginning of a meeting. Mm -hmm. And this sounds like a cold call thing or blindsiding, but in, in terms of best practice, this is something you would even put 
in the meeting invitation. So as a chair, you would go through the minutes. And if there were outstanding action items in the in the meeting invitation, you is best practice to put that in there as well with the people's names and the time in which the, the agreed on completion date so that when they come to the meeting, they're expected to give an update on to the progress of whatever task it was. And like LaShawn said, it sets a tone for subsequent meetings where, wow, they know every time that we start the meeting, LaShawn is going to recap of the previous meeting. And there's that inherent anxiety there, but it's a good anxiety in that people are going to be spurred to ensure that they complete the tasks that they agreed to complete. Yeah. One of the things I also like doing, and now let's get into a bit of the body of the meeting where you're trying to tackle some of these key items you put in your agenda. Once you get to that, those portions of the meeting, you often find people that are more outspoken than others and oftentimes maybe dominating a conversation. Now, it's your job as the meeting facilitation lead to identify those people who are quite outspoken and give the space and the time to other members that might not be so ready and willing to share their thoughts about a given topic. So you could do a gentle nudge like, hey, we haven't heard from you, Melissa. Why don't, do you have any thoughts on some of the things we're discussing right now? So give them the opportunity to share their thoughts. Now, some people don't like being put on the spot and you should understand that as the meeting facilitation lead. So maybe it's as simple as sending someone a direct message on Zoom or personal message on whatever communication channel that best suits the people you work with and send them a nudge. Hey, why don't you mention this? Or I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you think you can raise some of the thoughts to the groups while in the meeting? So it's up to you to identify the different personalities, the different skills, the different traits of the people you're working with to better hear everyone's thoughts from that meeting. Because what's the point of having this huge, amazing meeting? when you're only hearing from one person, right? Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I think it's important, and it's easier when the meetings are tied to a group, like a group work, a longevity, continued thing, rather than a one-off. But I think it's important to set ground rules and develop like a meeting culture. So if you, they know you as a chair to cold call people out, then they know they need to prepare in advance a meeting to have something to contribute if they're actually present in the meeting. So I think it depends on, like LaShawn said, the chair or the lead has a lot of power in determining the process through which the meeting takes place and the outcome. So I think it's important that you use this to your advantage to achieve the goal that you're trying to achieve. You mentioned that there's People, there's degrees to which people engage in a meeting. Some people engage more, some people engage less. The virtual meetings have provided an opportunity for people who are less outspoken to maybe get involved in things like using the chats, the chat feature, and those sort of things. So how, is, how important is it for a chair or a meeting lead to make sure that everyone can feel heard through whatever channel in the meeting is available to them? Again, it's about understanding who you're working with. And we mentioned this early on, before we even have the meeting, we're identifying strategically who we want at that meeting. And it might be as simple as just having one representative from a specific department at that meeting. Why do we want them there? They have specific skills, expertise, and knowledge that some of the other people in the meeting and departments might not bring, right? 
So we want to make sure we give them the proper channel that they're most comfortable with. Cool. If it's via text, cool. If it's with an email update, cool. We just need to make sure that we're getting what we need out of them and they're able to share what they need to the rest of the group. So being able to work with them and understand where you can work effectively with them to get the most out of them and for them to give you the most from their perspective is really important. So I think having that safe, comfortable environment, and again, you mentioned some sort of meeting culture, that's going to be important. Is there something that you like to do as you approach the end of a meeting? Yeah, so first of all, like throughout the meeting, you as the chair should have some sort of general indication of how well the meeting's going, the specific time this meeting, how long has passed since you started the meeting and when the end time of this meeting is. Because based on those factors, you're going to want to speed up certain topics to make sure you cover maybe some of the more important parts. And I think there's also some room here to talk about prioritizing that agenda, the different items in your agenda. Maybe you want to prioritize it such that the most important things are at the beginning of the meeting so you can make sure you cover them because those are going to be essential for the next day's a workflow. So you want to make sure you cover that. So that's, I want to add that point as well. But yeah, as we're winding down the meeting, we want to make sure that we're still covering everything. We're still giving people a chance to communicate with the rest of the group, any sort of concerns they that might have arose. And one of the, the most important things as we wind down, we want to start to get into those action-based tasks that we can assign. What should people be doing next? right? It's the worst feeling when you're in a meeting for like an hour or two and you just come out of the meeting and you're like, what's the point of this? So as that meeting facilitation leader chair, you want to start thinking about as this meeting winds down, based on the things you discussed, based on some of the needs that have been discussed, who can you assign to fulfill some of those needs or gaps or problems so that by the next meeting or whenever the timeline or deadline you assign, it will be completed by. Now, Assigning someone something is one thing, and it's always great to do that based on the area of expertise, their department, their scope of work, etc. But you also want to make sure you nail down a deadline for them to complete that task by. This is good for a couple of reasons. First of all, it tells them that this is a serious thing to do, and this is a task that needs to be done by a given date. Secondly, when the next meeting rolls around and you go through that list at the beginning, as Gordon mentioned, it holds them accountable right? They could maybe argue that, hey, we didn't come up with the deadline. So I wasn't sure if I had to have it done by next meeting or this meeting or three weeks from now. But by having that solid deadline, you're able to point at the deadline rather than pointing at the person. And when we start pointing at people, we start getting into that relational conflict, which is not really conducive for any team environment. I like to summarize what was discussed in the meeting and get into those action items. You rightly pointed out that in those action items, there should be an indication of who's responsible for the task, when is when it's expected to be completed. And I like to put a third element in there that whoever's the lead for the project or needs to be told that something is completed, there should be communication when the thing is completed because sometimes people complete a task and you're not necessarily notified and 
it's important for you to be informed. So I think that third step is once you complete, let me know whether it's sending me the file that I need to get or if there doesn't need to be an exchange of file, just to let me know that something was completed so I can check it off my list. That's very important as well. Now, once that's done, there's still more work to be done. The meeting's over. You've done your due diligence. You've told people what they need to do, when they need to complete it, and to sort of report back to you to inform you about the status in advance of the next meeting. Now, are we done? Is that we just show up to the next meeting? Is there anything that happens between meetings? What do you normally do? One of the things that inevitably happen when you're setting up meetings, whether locally or internationally, is oftentimes key people can't make the meeting time that you scheduled. So there is a need to disseminate some of the information that's been talked about during the meeting and talk about some of those key updates and action items. So that's when the dissemination of some of those meeting notes comes in handy. Now, Gordon, I know you don't like reading these lengthy, long minutes, meeting minutes that people send out. So what are some strategies to, you know, make it more palatable for people to want to read? Yes. So this ties back to what you mentioned before with those meeting preparation documents about how if you put the expected time of read time and things like that, it increases the likelihood that people actually read it. Right. I also believe that when you send out an email with 20 attachments no, <laughs> and people are already stressed out with their role yeah. and some people who are involved in that meeting are actually not accountable at all to the outcome of your project. Like they, they won't get in any trouble at all. So like there's not as much of a motivation or incentive for them to go out of their way to be informed. It's very important that you make this very easy for them. So I like to also just pull out some of the most important parts of the minutes and embed that in the email itself. So if people skim read it in 10 minutes, it's better than them not opening up the attachment at all. Skimability. Skimability. So I always put, and then there's a quick summary. So we talked about at the end of the meeting, that quick summary, and then the key action items. If your minute recorder or note taker captured that, you're essentially basically going to copy and paste that part of the transcription into the email and tidy it up a bit for to read like an email. And that's what you send out. And if people spend one minute reading that, you would have done your job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I've been sent, you know, meeting dissemination notes that are are long and tedious. And I just I can't. It's quite it's quite hard to go through sometimes. That's why sometimes it's best practice to just put those action items up front, put the names beside the things you that you expect the person to do, and that helps facilitate the process, right? And Gordon, you also mentioned being able to have that conversation about when you're done something, how does that follow up on our action item step work? Can you talk a bit about how after a meeting that can be done effectively? Yeah, so... I think, well, first things first, there's times where you, someone would have been assigned a task and a deadline has passed. So you have to have a process there for following up with people. Do you follow up with the entire group or do you just email or communicate with that person directly? And in terms of corrective action, it goes back to what I mentioned, especially if there's, this, there's, there's times where 
there's an action item that really has no direct impact on your ability to do your work. And in those cases, you can perhaps wait until the next meeting to get a status update because it's it doesn't serve you any purpose there to nag just to check something off when it's not like you needed a document to then do your job, right? In cases where you need something, you would just let them know, hey, as soon as this is done, could you let me know? And I can then move on with the next step because sometimes there's a dependency between the two tasks. And there, if there's a lag time between when it was completed and when you learned about it, you can lose very critical time leading up to your next meeting. So that's why it's important. And the last thing I really want to talk about is over time, you get all these documents, these meeting notes, these emails, there's valuable information in those emails. How as an organization and as a lead, how do you make sure you're managing this knowledge? Knowledge management. Right. Mm. Now I'll share something that has worked pretty well for me is I basically use, for example, a Google Drive, which captures all the different meeting note documentations that we've had over the weeks and the months. I have a separate folder for all the attachments and key documentations that have been discussed. I have an Excel sheet filled with different issues that came about and continuous improvement notes that we can use to improve future meetings. And I give access to these folders to all the relevant stakeholders who I have at these meetings. And by this way, people are not constantly asking, hey, I remember something from meeting three weeks ago, but it's lost in my email. No, you should have this link to this folder, this knowledge management system that has been created to help facilitate that process. So you don't you don't have to spend time searching or digging for all that information that you've talked about and you documented a while back. And what I always like to say is you want to make these things catalogable, archivable and retrievable. And those are some key features of any good knowledge management system. That is a fantastic point. And I think there can also be a happy medium. So for those organizations who maybe don't have the benefit of going beyond an email system, there's things you could do in your email itself. I think it's very important to have very clear subject lines because what happens, LaShawn's going to tell me about a conversation we had six months ago. I'm going to go to Outlook, go to that search bar and try to figure out what terms I can put in to retrieve that email that LaShawn was referring to. So the clearer the subject line is, the more retrievable that email that you're looking for will be. So it's important to spend some time and be consistent with your subject lines and write them in such a way that it's something that you would actually think about searching for if you have to go back. Okay. Fair? Right. You know, old school bootleg knowledge management? (laughs) Old school. Right. Boots to the ground. Right. Anyways... This was LaShawn and no, Gordon. No, 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 no. You don't want to sign off? No. So it's funny how you say I talk a lot, but you just want to keep talking to the people all day. We're trying you know to give funny? the people what they want, man. You want to try signing off again? All right. And this is LaShawn and Gordon signing off. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast. Your go-to space for informative conversations inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.